Job chapter 34. Job chapter 34. Our goal is to glorify God by studying His Word. And we are diving into a serious study on how to study the Bible. So I have been studying the Bible for a lot of years now, as many of you have. And one of the errors, as a matter of fact, let's do this. Oh, get to Job 34 and go to Revelation chapter 2. So put your ribbon there or tear out a map or something and put it there at Job 34. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus Christ is speaking to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 at the beginning. Verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. I know sometimes you'll see a footnote that says that 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 angel is pastor. And I know a lot of pastors and none of them are angels. If God had wanted it to be pastor, what word do you think he would have used there? Pastor. All right. So, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. So Jesus Christ is commending their discernment and their judgment. Verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So their, their labor, their work, their their perseverance. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And there have been a lot of messages preached on that, but what it means to lose or to leave your first love is found in John chapter 15. And what he said is, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the verse that I committed to Laura when we got married. If you love me, keep my commandments. But then later on, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my words. So what happened in this early church period is they started adding words, phrases, and concepts to the word of God. And that led into all kinds of doctrinal error. They started adding things like baptism to salvation. They were removed. Remember Paul's prayer. He, he, was, he was worried that, that through his subtlety, that people would be moved from the simplicity that we have in Christ. And the first move away from the simplicity of the gospel was adding baptism to salvation. Then they started adding things like infant baptism, and they started establishing a hierarchy of, of different, different states in the church. So you would have a metropolitan or a cardinal over a bishop who's over a pastor who's over the church people. And it led to all kinds of error because they had left the words of the Bible. So now notice what it says. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, what did they fall from? From simply believing the words of God and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So what does that mean? How many of you think, you know, that, that losing a candlestick is a big deal? I don't even know if we have any candlesticks at the house. What is that talking about? Well, look at what it says in chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. So here, when he says in verse 5, 
or else I will come unto thee quickly, middle of the verse, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. What he's saying is if you leave the words of God, you're no longer a church. You can't be a church without a Bible. And the Bible is the words. And if you don't have the words, then you don't have the Bible. It's, it's pretty simple, isn't it? But how did they start losing the Bible? By godly men. Different leaders, men like Polycarp, men like, like Justin Martyr, men like Papias, these early church fathers, they started adding words, phrases, and concepts. So um, Polycarp, famous for 80 and 4 years when he was about to be martyred. They, they tried to get him to recant. He said, 80 and 4 years have I served thee and he's done me no wrong. How can I now deny the Lord that saved me or the Lord that bought me? And he went to the lions and died. Well, what a man that was. But he also wrote to the churches and he said this, the church is the mother of us all. And that grew into the false doctrine that there's no salvation outside of the church. I've told you before, I was preaching in Texas with Dalton Robertson, and he said there are a lot more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. What was he saying? Being a member of a church doesn't take you to heaven. Becoming a Baptist doesn't take you to heaven. Becoming a Presbyterian doesn't take you to heaven. Becoming a Catholic doesn't take you to heaven. Placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what takes you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from sin. Baptism can't cleanse you from sin. The Lord's Supper can't communicate grace to you. The only way that any of us can have a hope of eternal life is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was once, Jesus was once delivered for all. He tasted death for every man. And so when you start adding things to that, it doesn't matter how good or godly the teacher is, he is in error. And so notice what the Bible says. Jesus then commends them. Verse 6. But this thou hast. So you messed that up, but you've got this one. That thou, what's that next word? The deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We are often called hateful when we identify sin. We are called hateful when we identify false teaching. And yet Jesus Christ is commending the church at Ephesus because they hated the deeds what these Nicolaitan people were doing. Is that what the text says? So what is a Nicolaitan? That word Nicolaitan is not a translated word. It's a transliterated word. They just took the Greek letters and changed the Greek letters into English letters. And it's two words, Nico and Laetan. Nico are those little wafers that you eat. Those things are awesome until you get to the black one, right? And then you want a bummock. Nico, I need to edit that out. Nico, I'm glad Justin's not here because that one would come back to bite me, I guarantee you. Nico means to lord over. What do you think the laity is? You have the priesthood and the laity? Jesus hates that. He hates it. See, for me as a pastor, the Bible even tells me not to minister as a Lord. Not to Lord over God's inheritance. 
And so what happened was these teachers, these good godly men, these educated people, they, they started having a higher position. What, what happened was men like Papias and others, they started teaching, Justin Martyr taught, that the priesthood ought to be above the laity. The priesthood is more like God, so they ought to be above the laity. When the Bible says that we're one, I, I'm, just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like you're to be a sinner saved by grace. And so the purpose of this study, the purpose of us learning how to study the Bible is so that you guys can know that you can know anything about the Bible that I can. I, the, you know, the Gnostics were these people, um, men like Origen, Adamantius Origen was influenced by the Gnostics. He lived around 200 AD. And he, th- th- this Gnostic idea was that there are messages hidden in the Bible that are not found in the words that there's some deeper spiritual meaning behind the words, and that the words don't really matter. As a matter of fact, Origen wrote that God wrote things in the Bible that aren't true, as if they were true, to cause people to stumble over them so that they can seek for the deeper knowledge that's behind the words. How many of you think that's a Bible teacher you ought to trust? Let God be true, but every man a liar. God can't lie. He, he, he can't lie. And so what happened was you had all the way in the early church going all the way back. Have you ever heard people appeal to the church fathers? Have you ever heard that? And that's why Jesus said, call no man on earth your father. The church doesn't have fathers. The church, as a matter of fact, can we demonstrate that from the Bible? Let's see if Pastor Jim is right on this one. Go to Romans chapter 9. We'll get to Job. Romans chapter 9. Sorry, it's Romans chapter 11. It really is Romans 9. I was in Acts right there. I'm sorry. I'll blame it on the new Bible. Verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now, are we Israelites? No. Unless you're Jewish. To whom pertain the adoption. So Jesus, or the, the Father, adopted Israel as his people. And the glory and the covenants. So if someone's practicing covenant theology... They're not interpreting their Bible properly. The covenants aren't for the church. The covenants are for Israel. This is where John Hagee messes up. He says Jews don't need to be saved because they're under the old covenant. No. No, in the church there's neither Jew nor Greek. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law. Are you thankful you're not under the law? In the service of God, that's the priesthood. We don't have Levitical priesthood anymore. All of us are priests. You don't confess your sin to me as a priest. You are a priest, which means you can go straight to God through the high priest, Jesus Christ. The priesthood is gone. So, it says, the service of God and the promises. What does that mean? God's not done with Israel. Look at this. Whose are the fathers? 
and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. So the Bible says that the Jews, the Israelites, have the fathers. And who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Why are they called the fathers? Because they were the fathers. They had children. The 12 tribes were the children. Right? So it's a physical thing. Everything about Israel is physical. They have a physical land. They have a physical priesthood. They have a physical sacrifice. Everything in the church is spiritual. We have a spiritual priesthood. We have a spiritual body. We, we, when we offer a sacrifice, it's a spiritual sacrifice of praise. We're not killing anything today. We're going to eat something somebody else killed later on here in a little while. We're not, we're not making... We're not making blood sacrifices in here. And there is no sacrifice that turns into the body and blood of Christ that happens in this place. Why? Because we are a spiritual priesthood, the Bible says, in the book of 1 Peter. So for Israel, everything's physical. For the church, everything's spiritual. And the Bible says that it's Israel that has the fathers. The church doesn't have the fathers. What does the church have? The church has the word of God. I got to visit in the mountains of Italy a scriptorium where they would copy the Bible. And it was a a Waldensian stronghold in the 1200s. And these Waldensians were so biblical, they would copy the scriptures to distribute the scriptures. And they had these old translations of the Bible, like the Romant translation. But they would translate the Bible into the language of the people. That was for them in the mountains, even though it was Italy, it was a French translation that they were making. And they, they, would, they would call their leaders. They didn't want to call them father like the priests did, like the, the Catholic Church did, because Jesus said, call no man on earth your father. So they were called Barbies. And that was the word for uncle. They, they didn't want to be associated with anything. They wanted to give them respect, but they didn't want to establish any kind of an office that was over the people. And they were willing to die for their faith, and they did. See, it's so important for us to understand that the reason we need to know how to study the Bible for ourselves, it's a couple of things. Number one, God wants you to know what he has said. God has a message for you as you dig it out of the word of God. And secondly, you can hold me accountable to where if I teach something that's not right from the word of God, you can come to me and you can say, Pastor, man, I'm not sure that what you said was right there. The Bible says this, you said that. And what does that do? That makes sure that we maintain a pure, a doctrinally pure body. But if I'm the only one who knows doctrine, if I act like, well, you don't know, you haven't been to school like I have, you must listen to me. That's wrong. It is wrong. The only authority at Grace Baptist Church is this right here. And I, as pastor, am authoritative when I speak this in its context. It's the only authority that I have. And so what what teaching you how to study the Bible does is it makes sure that we don't have this false priesthood laity hierarchy that God hates. Is that what the Bible said in Revelation 2? Jesus said, which I also hate. I hate it. Whoever's going to be greatest among you, he needs to be your servant. Because, listen, can we look at it? Look at Ephesians 4.
Look at verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Look at this. What are those next two words? One Lord. See, I can't be Lord of the church and Jesus be Lord of the church at the same time. And when you get some idea that because I have some understanding of original languages or whatever, that I can know God better than you, that goes back to that same Gnostic concept of there's some hidden message in the original languages that can't be translated. That is not true. That is not true. Next Sunday, I want you to mark on your calendar. I want you to be sure to try to be here. Invite people. How many of you, how many of you have ever heard someone say this? The Bible is too hard to understand. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, you know, Peter also said that. Peter said there are things in Paul's writings that are hard to be understood. They're hard to be understood. That's why we've got to have the Holy Ghost that will teach us. Right? So next Sunday, I'm going to deal with the topic, is the Bible too hard to read? Is the Bible too hard to read? And I'm going to answer that question And then I'm going to give you some simple tools for reading the language of the Bible. We sang that song a little while ago, Ancient Words. How many of you love that song? I do too, but you know people don't want ancient words in their Bible. Have you noticed that? Oh, that's an old word. I can't understand that. But we learn things all the time. And it's just a matter of whether or not it's important enough for us to learn it. So this, the reason we're doing this, the verse that we have on the wall, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. We need to love the word of God. It's vital that great for, in order for Grace Baptist Church to stay right doctrinally in the future, it's not about what the pastor knows. It's about what you know. You guys need to know what the truth is because you're going to be setting the direction for the church down the road. It's vital that you guys know the truth. Amen. And they know the truth as mom and dad know the truth. And then the Bereans, those were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and then searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So you listen to the preaching, you receive it with readiness of mind, and then you search the scriptures. Is what pastor said true? Is that right? That's what how to study the Bible is about. It's for you to be able to interpret the Bible for yourself. Because the Bible says no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So we need to understand how does God want us to interpret it. Because the Bible says that interpretation belongs to God. All right, go with me to to Job chapter 34. So our fifth point, got this outline from our friend James Knox. Read the Bible obediently. Read the Bible obediently. So look what the Bible says in Job 34, look at verse 32. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. The word of God demands complete obedience to all its commands and teachings. The Word of God demands complete obedience to all its commands and teachings. Okay. In our Sunday school class this morning, we're going through the qualifications for a pastor from Titus chapter 1. And children not accused of riot or unruly. Not accused of riot or unruly. So that means none of your kids can be in Black Lives Matter. All right. So. Come on. That was funny. Give give me me something on that one. 
So, what does that mean? That means that I need to teach my children to obey and to not mess stuff up. Is that fair? To do what they're told, to not be unruly, and not be rioters. Any, any qualification for a pastor or a deacon, that's what all believers ought to strive for, those same qualifications in their lives. Why? Because, again, you can't say the pastor's not over me or, or you know, that he's not the priest, and yet I expect him to be more holy than me. Is that fair? See, we can't say we're equal before God, and then you say, well, you, uh, I'm not a pastor, I can do whatever I want. Whatever you expect of me, that's what I expect of you. That's, that's the idea of submission one to another. Amen? And so this idea of obedience, how many of you know that God wants you to obey everything that he tells you to do in the Bible? Right? And one of those is children obey your parents. Some of y'all with young kids. You need to teach them to obey. Because their understanding of obedience to the word of God will be established by the way you teach them obedience to you. Most of the people in prison don't have a father in the home. How many of you know that? Isn't it like 90% or something? That they were not held accountable. They... The, the concept of father, it's a horrible thing in our society that, we, that, that the word that we use for God is father, but the idea that many people have for father is a horrible human being. That's terrible, isn't it? And yet, my children needed to love me and fear me. So, And where does the fear come in? The fear comes from displeasing me because they, they fear the discipline. Right? The poon. <laughs> Bible talks about using a rod. Why do you use the rod? Because you don't want your children to fear your hands. And so we used a plastic spoon. And you would say, okay, go get the spoon. And, you know, Jacob was 15. He didn't want to get the spoon anymore. <laughs> go get the spoon. No poon. No poon. They feared the poon. So what does that do? When they fear the poon, then you get to have fun the rest of the time. They know where joy comes from. They know where pain comes from. Joy comes from pleasing. Pain comes from displeasing. How many of you follow that logic right there? Right? How many of you know that it's tough to spank a 16-year-old enough to really make it hurt? By the time you make it really hurt when they're 16, you go to jail. you got to take care of it when they're young. It's so important. And if the Word of God, I'm pointing at the screen back here, that's what I'm reading, the Word of God demands complete obedience to all its commands and teachings, then as, as Father, I need to demand complete obedience to all my commands and teaching in the home. Does that make sense? And then when my children, when I teach my children about obeying God and obeying his commandments and fearing God and submitting to God and loving God, we've established those patterns in the home 
So those words mean something. There's a context to those words for the children. And it's the same thing for us. If you want to really understand the Bible, you must begin obeying it. You must begin submitting to its dictates, to its precepts. The Word of God demands complete obedience. Disobedience, like doubt, closes the door of truth. Disobedience, like doubt, closes the door of truth. You ever say this to your kids? You need to go to your room. I can't talk to you right now. Has that ever happened? Has your wife ever said that to you? (laughs) Go to the other room. Can't talk to you right now. It is interesting how God has established some of these things. God's going to close the door of truth to you if you don't listen. And we'll see that in a minute. Look at John chapter 17. If I obey what I see today, God will grant me further light tomorrow. John chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 7 and verse 17. John 7 and verse 17. We looked at this last week. Look at verse 14 for the context. John 7 and verse 14. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, the the Christian faith, I like to say this about our Baptist doctrine, that a Baptist is defined by, by faith and practice what we believe, and what we do. Um, in Acts chapter 1, Luke is writing uh, unto, unto most excellent Theophilus. And he's, he's writing of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. To do and to teach. We learn from Jesus' example and his teaching. We learn from Paul's example and his teaching. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And in the Christian life, what we, our, our faith is lived out. We know what a person believes by how they live because if they really believed it, they wouldn't do that. Is that fair? Now, let's be honest. How many of you have ever done something since you got saved that went against what you believed? Any of you? Well, that's called the human condition. We're sinners. If any man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And yet, if you have an entire lifestyle that goes against what you profess to believe, you might not really believe it. Amen? And so our life needs to be a life of obedience. If I obey what I see today, God will grant me further light tomorrow. If I disobey what I see today, further light will be denied tomorrow. What did Jesus Christ say? Verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So in other words, if you don't obey it, then you won't understand. In Scripture, whenever someone got off the right path, they had to go back to that spot and return to the right path. That's what repentance is all about. The prodigal son. Here's the thing about the Christian life. In this life, there's no compulsory promotion. What does that mean? Um, do, Do kids get held back in school anymore? That does happen. So if a child, you know, do we have 18-year-olds in sixth grade? At some point, they go ahead and advance them, right? Compulsory promotion. That doesn't happen in the Christian life. If you, People are laughing over there. 
<laughs> Jay, were you 18 in sixth grade? Is that what's going on over here? <laughs> he shook his head. Yes, that's not true. Um, in the Christian life, how many of you are thankful that eventually you're going to be like Christ? You're going to get a new body. You're going to be like Christ. Man, I can't wait for that. I get so sick of sin in my own life. I get so tired of those, you know, the Bible talks about besetting sins and things like that. stuff. you think, man, I've been saved for this long and I'm still this. And yet, I know that in my own life, I'm not where I was when I was, you know, 20. I've, I've grown in my Christian walk. And many of you would say the same thing about yourself. But how many of you know people that got saved and never grew at all? They never grew at all. They're still baby Christians. This is why discipleship is so important. But just baby Christians. And what did Paul say? Man, I want to write to you as mature, but I can't. You're babies. I want to give you meat, but I can't because you're as, the, you're, you're as they that, that need, need milk because you can't handle strong meat. What, why, do, why don't you give babies steak? They'll choke on it. They'll choke on it. Why do baby Christians, why can't they handle the deep things of God? They'll choke on it. And so, what is it that takes you from being that baby, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word of God? What's the difference between a baby and a mature believer? Obedience. Growth. Submission. Study. And then they're able to take the strong meat. That's the biblical model. It's about obedience. Obey the word of God. Learning the word is not sufficient. Obedience is required. Then, read the Bible repeatedly. Read the Bible repeatedly. Give yourself to it over and over and over again. Again, and we'll talk about this some next week. People say there's stuff in the Bible that I don't understand. A thought that comes to my mind is we've got a set of uh, books in the bookstore up there, uh, John T. Christian's History of the Baptists. So, I don't know, 30 years ago, I, I got that set when I was in Bible college, and I started trying to read it, and honestly, I didn't really understand it very well. And it was very, it was slow going because there were all kinds of words I didn't know, all kinds of, of historical events that I didn't know. Y- y'all know what I mean? Y'all have read a a thing like that. Well, I could read it now and finish the sentences because I've studied it for 30 years now. And so where initially it was very difficult, now now it's it's easy. It's still profitable because it's a great set. There's stuff in there that I will have forgotten, but, but, but it's easier. It's the same way with reading the Bible. And the fun thing about it is the more familiar you get with it, the more you learn the more you find that's there. You can't fathom its depths. So give yourself to it over and over again. It's the only book in the world that gets bigger the more you read it. And it's so fun to find things that you hadn't found before. The greater my capacity for truth grows, the more truth is available to me. Um, When I'm doing question and answer, and, you know, somebody will ask a question, I'll say, okay, go to this passage, go to this passage, go to this passage, go to this passage. Um... I've had people that have accused me of planting the questions. They say, nobody can know that. How, how, how can you know that? Well, I cheat. 
I've got my old Bible with all my cross-references in it, and I, I know where to start to answer the question, and often I've got the cross-reference written there. And so now if you ask me a question right now, I'd have to go and get my other Bible because this one doesn't have any cross-references in it. But some of it I know. Why? Because I've been doing this for 30 years now. How many of you think your pastor ought to know where stuff is in the Bible? Is that a good idea, you think? Because that's my job. It's what I do. And yet, somebody asked me... Um, one of the young men that was here for Elena's uh, wedding, Bible college guy, he's out in ministry now, and we were talking about some stuff, and he said, so how do you do this? You travel and preach, you, you study, you write books, you pastor a church, how, how do you do all of that? And I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 28. And I said, I couldn't have done it when I was 28. You, how many of you have a job? I know Jeff Blackford's about to retire. What, 50-week notice, is that what you said? He gave, he gave us 50-week notice. And, and the problem is the guys that he's training can't do what he does because he's been doing it for, what, 72 years now? Is that how long you've been doing that job? <laughs> it's true, right? They, can't, they don't have the capacity to do what you're doing. Why? He's good at it. He's been doing it for a long time. He's conscientious. It's the same thing with studying the Bible. When you talk to somebody who really knows God's Word, they really know God's Word, that didn't happen by osmosis. It's just work. My, the greater my capacity for truth grows, the more truth is available to me. Cross-references become clear to you. Types become clear to you. What do we mean by types? So, like the Bible talks about, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, they would look to the serpent in the wilderness, that brazen serpent, and if they, they were bitten by a snake, if they looked, they, they would die. But if they were able to look at that, they would live. And it's the same thing. Look to Jesus now and live like the hymn sing, like the hymn says. We sing the hymn that says that. That's a type, and they start to become more and more clear to you. Like Enoch is a type of the church. He was taken out before the deluge. He was taken out before the wrath. That's a type of the church. Types become clear to you. Context becomes clear to you. And we're going to talk more and more about context. But context is just whose mail are you reading? Who is it addressed to? And so if, you know, the, the old standby is, I'm going to do whatever the Bible tells me to do. And the guy opened the Bible and put his finger down and it says, and Judas went and hanged himself. Well, no, I don't want to do that. Go and do thou likewise. That's not the way to study the Bible, right? You want to find out what's written to you. Then life illustrations become plenteous. You begin identifying with the scriptures in your life. And then read the Bible consecutively. Look at Luke chapter 24. This is so fun right here. I say it every time I read this text, but I would have loved to have been there for this. Luke chapter 24. And so this is Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And remember they asked him about, you know, why, why are you sad, Jesus said. And they said, don't you know what's happening, the things that have happened in Jerusalem? And what did Jesus say? What things? This is so awesome. Remember, Jesus never asks questions to gain information. How many of you think Jesus knew what had happened? Yeah. And so he starts talking to them, and look at what it says in verse 25. Then, said, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Moses was a prophet, but he's talking about the specific books of the Bible. So the first five books, those are the books of Moses. And then the prophets. Now notice what he says in verse 44. So this is after he's met the disciples by the sea. Verse 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets. Now he adds something, and in the Psalms. So read the Bible consecutively. There's information all through the Bible, and it all points to Christ. It's all about what he has come to accomplish. And then read the Bible patiently. Imagine someone asking God to supernaturally impart to them the ability to play the piano without practicing. So how many of you enjoy Maureen on the piano? Y'all enjoy that? Maureen, we missed you last week. You're not allowed to get sick. I just love hearing her play the piano. I love it. Did you ever practice? Do you still practice? Yeah. <laughs> Alan Iverson, how are you thinking? We're talking about practice. You can't get good at anything without practice. You can't become a great guitarist without practicing it. You can't become a great ball player without practicing. You can't become a great golfer without practicing. You can't become a great Bible student without practicing. You have to do it, and you have to be patient. It will take years of study to learn the Bible. It will take years of study. I've mentioned this at the beginning. I'll go and I'll preach, and some young preacher will be there and this is my favorite question. I'll deal with a subject that I've studied for years and years and years. And this is always my favorite. Is there a book that has this information in it? Yeah, like 300. And, and I was the same way. I wanted to know all of that. But you know what it's taken? It's taken years and years and years and years of work and work and work and work and work, just like the rest of you, just like Jeff Blackford at his job. It took years to get to where he could do that. Many of you, the skills that you have, some of you school teachers, you know, I guarantee you that Matt Hickman is a better teacher than a first-year teacher. Why? Experience, suffering, pain, agony. Experience. It's the same thing with Bible study. Don't get discouraged. You're not going to know everything next week. And that's the joy. That's the joy. It'll take years of study to learn the Bible. Be patient. This is why pastors cannot rely on four years of Bible college to teach them all that they need to know. This is one of my big beefs as I go out and I preach. There are guys that have never learned another thing since they graduated. It's not enough. Then an eternal book written by an eternal God cannot be mastered in a few months. Do you all agree with that? Just keep at it. Be patient. Build every week, every year. Man, what I love, one of the things that I love about preaching the Bible the way that we have been taught to preach the Bible is I learn every week. I learn something every week, and it just adds, it builds, it builds, it builds. Then, read the Bible knowing that it's God's last word to man. When John finished Revelation 22, he put down his pen God had said all that he was ever going to say to man. Amen? Don't be looking for visions. Don't be looking for outside information. Commentaries are great. I'm not saying that that's bad. Dictionaries are great. Go ahead and use that stuff. 
But those are not authoritative. This is God's word. This is God's word. And he's done. The next thing he's going to do is he's going to appear. Amen. In the clouds with us and then on the ground seven years later. That's the next thing that's going to happen. In this world, in this life, God has said all he is ever going to say to you. Now, listen, we've all been there. When you're in trouble, you're in a situation, a sick child. I'm talking about devastating situations. You would really love for God to give you a new message. What you have to believe is the old message is right. The old message, listen, is sufficient. Did he say he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? We don't need a new message. It's there. The Bible is finished. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So he spoke in time past by the prophets, then he gave the Son. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now look at the way it ends. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I'm going to give you these plagues. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Grace be upon you. That's what it says. Isaiah 8 and verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Again, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If I speak against the word of God, I have no light. The only light I have is the scriptures. The prophets are over. Dreams are over. Signs are over. Similitudes are over. Visions are over. Apostles are over. It is all done. The Bible is finished. You can only trust the Bible. You can't trust man. You can't trust voices. You can't trust feelings. You can't trust impressions. You can't trust spine-tingling experiences. You trust God's Word. Amen? Can God impress you to do something? Sure. That's not trustworthy. Have you ever, how many of you were sure you were supposed to do something and then you really messed up? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because your heart will lie to you. This is your sure authority. This is your sure source. Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord, we love your word. Father, thank you that, that you've not established a Nicolaitan priesthood. 
but that the only thing keeping us from knowing your word better is time, investment, investment, 